Officer down! I repeat, Officer down! Welcome to 1033. This podcast was created in an effort to create community connection and conversation around mental health. It was originally created by a first responder for first responders. However, the lessons learned through life experience transcend these roles. Join us as we aim to reduce the stigma around mental health and create a safe environment for you, the listener, to reflect on the journey as others share their story. The success of this project is a result of the direct support from the listeners and from corporations. This support directly translates to increasing the quality of the podcast that I am ultimately able to provide to you. I would like to take a quick moment to hear from our sponsors who believe in this project. CanaConnect's mission is to empower military and RCMP veterans on their holistic journey to wellness through community, conversation, and medical cannabis education. CanaConnect is committed to providing opportunities to engage with supportive communities across the country at their wellness lounges from coast to coast. Drop in any time to grab a coffee, meet their team, and enjoy fulfilling conversations with like-minded people. CanaConnect understands that healing requires a holistic approach, which is why they put so much emphasis into connection and the community. CanaConnect leads with compassion and care to ensure that everyone in the community is able to learn, heal, and thrive while working to end the stigma around mental health. Thank you to our sponsors for continuing to make this project a success. Welcome back to 1033. We are joined again by Dr. Jasmine Dean. Now, if you didn't catch last week's episode, she is a registered psychologist. She is here helping out our first responders with post-traumatic stress and those that aren't there yet to ensure that there is some type of resiliency. Jasmine, welcome back. How are you? Hi, good. Thanks. Today is going to be a great conversation. We're going to switch gears from what we spoke about last week. We're going to start to talk about how do we self-assess ourselves in this journey of trauma, mental health challenges, first responder work, Mm -hmm. or if you're just a civilian and you're going through a hard time in life. Yeah. How do we do that? It's, it's such a good question. And I think it, it does tie into what we were talking about last time in that often in the first responder realm or in high stress jobs, you can get very good at disconnecting, right? You kind of have to leave yourself out of the picture sometimes, or, you know, you're not in it for your own comfort, right? So as things come up, you're pretty used to leaving yourself out of the equation as you determine what are next steps or what am I going to be doing here? And that is absolutely necessary for performing the roles that you're in, right? There are times where it's critical that you leave yourself out of it, your personal feelings, your personal comfort, because you have a job to do. At the same time, that comes with a risk and a potential cost of forgetting to reconnect with yourself when there are times to do so. And if we're not reconnecting or consciously checking in with ourselves, then it can be easy for things to start to slip without even being aware of them slipping, right? So I think having tools or having ways to check in with yourself, seeing where am I at, how are things going, that is one of the most critical pieces of staying healthy um, and getting the support that's needed as you're doing the jobs that you do. The the important part, too, in the journey, I think, from my perspective, was uh, functionally disconnecting and functionally reconnecting are things that I was not good at when I was a police officer. Uh, I didn't have the knowledge behind me to have the awareness of what was actually happening below the waterline. When Mm -hmm. I would go to these calls and I really struggled to later reconnect with myself and process some of that harder emotion and that stuff just built up for years. So the, the, I want to come back to the very interesting thought of there's, there's obviously this massive challenge for people. And I mean, this doesn't just apply to first responders. It applies across, you know, the gamut of the human experience, regardless of where you are. Uh, It's really an environmental type of issue, right? And you know, experienced trauma or experienced hardship. 
So people who go through these, these moments of having to functionally disconnect in order to operate in that situation, whether you're in fight or flight and you're, you're in survival mode or fight, fight or flees, my apologies there. Um, but being able to reconnect with yourself later is so important. And I'm actually really excited to have this conversation. Now I'll continue a little bit further down the rabbit hole. Something that you touched on was, yeah, there's this, this plane of how do we, how do we functionally reconnect with ourselves afterwards and how do we do that? But there's also something bigger that happens too with this functional disconnection you kind of lose the ability to establish proper boundaries for yourself or have an idea or thought towards what does my self-care routine look like? Mm -hmm. And if you continually are functionally disconnecting, and I mean, I'll, I'll add two to that, that goes way deeper as well. And if you're continually functionally disconnecting at work or in your environment in life, you also start to let those other important aspects of your life degrade to a degree. Do you agree? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. It well, it just has such a ripple effect, right? Whether it's important relationships or your social functioning or your hobbies. Um, there's so many areas of your life that can start to be impacted subtly or not so subtly. So let's keep it simple today. Let's just talk about functional disconnection and not go down uh, down the rabbit hole and open up Pandora's box. But I wanted yeah. to paint a real quick picture of where this can go. So if we're if we're living our lives with this first human experience of functionally disconnecting in order to deal with a highly traumatic or traumatizing event, uh, one that thrusts us into fight or flight or freeze. What what is happening in the body in that moment when we functionally disconnect? Can we talk about that first? What is the mm -hmm. felt experience? What is the human experience there? Yeah. Um, as always, my mind goes to it's going to be different for each individual, right? Whether it's um, experienced as a fight, flight, freeze, survival mode response to something um, or even just a numbing, right? Uh, or, or falling back on, okay, what's the procedure in this circumstance, right? Where it's almost like you go into autopilot and it's not, it's not necessarily even uncomfortable. Um, it's just that it's so trained, right? Like that's essentially what your training prepares you to do is in a lot of instances to override a natural fight, flight, freeze, survival response, right? Like that quote of you're the ones who are running in when other people would run out. Well, how do you get to that point then of not having this automatic knee-jerk reaction of backing away from potential danger and risk, but managing what would naturally come up and then overriding that to do your job, right? So that the training, doing things over and over and over again so that they are so rehearsed that it's automatic, that is one way of helping your body to disconnect in a way from what might be natural instinct, right? To go forward when typically for a lot of people, the impulse would be to back away or get into some kind of self-defense mode. I think with the, what comes to mind too, then when we're talking about disconnecting is, are we talking about operationally disconnecting to do a job or that disconnect that then spills over into your personal life? Because there's a lot of things that can be barriers to reconnecting with yourself. And it doesn't just have to be the job and the training, right? It can also feel really uncomfortable to create space to experience emotions or scary and threatening to think about having to face emotions like grief, shame, guilt. Um, I have, I've heard somebody talk about it where um, they mentioned that it was like having this dam, right? And they felt like if they, sort of removed fingers and toes and things that were plugging the dam, if they took that away and they stepped back, that they were just going to be drowned by those emotions that would come through. And there was a real fear of, if I start to sort of open up these holes in this dam that I've been building for myself, what is this going to look like? Um, so outside of operational reasons for disconnecting, I think psychologically, just as humans, we also have a lot of things that might be barriers or other reasons why we might choose to continue to disconnect from these emotions long after that event has passed. 
one of the things that comes up in my mind as we talk about this this functional disconnection was you painted a really clear picture too about if you're going to functionally disconnect at work, that's one thing in order to be able to do your job. But what does that look like at home when you get home and you now have to have a relationship with people that are not your colleagues? They mm-hmm. are your loved ones. They yeah. are your family. They're your children. They're your wife, uh, your husband, your family, your mom, your dad, grandmas, whatever that that looks like to you. And that's something that's really, really important to have awareness of is how are you doing that? How are you managing that? I think a lot of times with, with Mounties, uh, and I see this because of my own experience, we go off to training for six months and we essentially are trained 24 hours a day because we're there. We don't have balance. It's not like city policing or municipal training where you go to training from eight to four and you go home and you have that balance. So two totally different worlds of learning how to functionally disconnect. Now, could you make the argument that with the Muni training, there is an ability to you know, learn how to override fight, flight, or fight, uh, but then you also get to go home and hopefully be able to reconnect? I don't know. As opposed to the Mounties who go to depot for six months and maybe have to learn how to override that, that human... Uh, behavioral event that happens that's hardwired into us. So, I mean, I'm not going to dive into that too much, but I just had this thought of, I mean, these two, two worlds are totally different. And I mean, even from my own experience of being in depot for six months, uh, that was very much my experience. We were there, we were eating, we were breathing, we were sleeping, policing. Uh, so even as you were, you were talking about this, it stemmed this thought of, I think balance is actually a wonderful thing. You Mm -hmm. need to be able to go home to your family and learn how to functionally reconnect. And I don't know if there's an issue there for the RCMP or if there is a need for a solution, but it definitely stemmed this thought of, you know, there definitely is an imbalance with the RCMP and the training model that they have where you, you just, you go away and you come back a totally different person. It's such a unique thing, right? Mm -hmm. Now I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's the way they're doing it, but there's also, you have to have an awareness into how they're doing this. Mm -hmm. Now for the functional disconnection component of what you go through uh, as a police officer, I, how, how do, how do people start this process? You know, let's, let's call it ground zero or the first time they functionally disconnect. Do you see people as being able to go home and easily reconnect or have awareness into how to reconnect? I would say thinking back on all the conversations I've had around this, it's not necessarily a conscious choice to reconnect. They're not focusing on how or why they're reconnecting, but it, it maybe comes a little bit easier at first, right? Um, just because again, it's sort of one of those, the cumulative impact of calls, the cumulative impact of stress. I've even had people talk about how probably the sweet spot in the first, let's say five, 10 years of your career, you're so excited to be there, right? That that kind of overrides some of the other things, or you're not so aware of the politics and the system, right? You haven't seen example after example of sanctuary trauma or moral injury yet. Um, So there's just maybe not as many things going on. That's not to say it can't happen early on, but I think sometimes there's just not that same impact. So it, it's just not as noticeable, right? You're still able to maybe come home and be excited to talk to your spouse about your day or your partner or you know, you're not noticing that there's any kind of disconnect between you and your kids or you and your family yet, or you're still seeing civilian friends, right? Those relationships, you're still able to maintain that. And then there's the slow creep of the impact of shift work, right? Where now all of a sudden it's not as convenient to schedule going out with your friends or you are exhausted on the weekends you do have off. So actually you're going to catch up on sleep or, you get a little bit tired of answering that question, you know, what do you do for a living or, Hey, any crazy calls, right? That starts to hit in a different way. Um, And so then it can be so subtle, but it's just this backing off, right. Or this disconnecting to protect yourself and even to protect your family. That's one thing that was coming to mind is that 
sometimes the disconnecting at home is not because you don't care, but because of how much you care, right? So now you're responding to calls and it's like, ooh, like I don't really want my spouse or my partner to know exactly what went on there. I don't want them to worry about me when I'm at work. And if I come home and talk about this, this is going to have an impact or I don't want to spread this trauma, right? Or with my kids, I know my temper's short and I'm tired. So you know what? It's actually just a little bit easier to create a bit of distance there or to fall back into operation mode when I'm disciplining and be really short with them or really direct in terms of having, you know, discipline or how I'm directing behavior versus I maybe would be a little bit more patient or a little bit more softer. Um, And so it's just this creep. And that's where I always come back to, do you know how to assess yourself? Do you know how to pinpoint that these things are happening so that it's not that you're getting to this crisis point and all of a sudden wondering, okay, how did I get here? Right? Because there's probably indicators along the way that this disconnection is happening and that the reconnection maybe isn't happening as frequently as it did early on. One of the things that I loved when we connected uh, last week and we talked about some of the things that happen in this experience was there's definitely an approach to your mental health where you're either going to go and get help as a result of being in crisis or you're going to invest in yourself and you're going to try and have a, a trustful connection with someone maybe like yourself or or whatever the case is but you're going to establish a baseline of where you're at and i love how as you talk about uh this issue here with functional disconnection and how how it just happens with almost like a an unawareness like it's a very slow transgression over the years right it's incredibly important to to have someone in your life that is your anchor who knows you for you at the moment that you walk into first responder work and who can hopefully have some accountability uh, around who you are to kind of nudge you and say, hey, you're starting to go down that path. Because I think you would agree with this too. There's probably a very high percentage, if not all of us, that one's a bit tricky for me to pull off because there probably is some of us that are aware of this. There has to be a large portion of us that don't have awareness into how we're now beginning to go down that path. It, it certainly helps, right? Whether it's, again, friends, parents, partners, whoever it is, right? To have those external people who are just able to reflect at the same time, ultimately a, an ideal goal would be for you to be that person for yourself, right? To know yourself so well that you're checking in. Um, it certainly helps to have other people. I don't want to minimize that. And at the same time, even if it's not somebody else, being able to do that for yourself is really what's going to be the most protective piece here. So let's let's focus on the individual experience if they are, are just an individual out there. Because I mean, there's lots of people that serve up north and they don't have a lot of the supports that normal people do have in the bigger centers. So let's look at that for a second. And let's paint the picture of someone who's been going through a bunch of different things and they're having to functionally disconnect, possibly over a period of years. How, how do you look to functionally reconnect post shift like let's start there in terms of reconnecting it can be helpful to go through it almost in a systematic way and to think about okay what are some of the differences between when I'm disconnected at work versus reconnecting with myself right so what's going on in my body what's going on with my emotions what's going on with my thinking with my relationships And so I start to think about doing a bit of an analysis that way where you might have to dial back the empathy emotionally on a call, right? Maybe you are, again, going through things in terms of procedure. You're not spending too much time with family members. You're not looking at pictures in the home or really delving into that person's history and their story or not looking at faces, right, as you're working on someone. And there is nothing wrong with that that can be very important in terms of being able to perform on the job. But then as you're walking away from that call, whether that's at the end of your shift or at the end of your block of shifts, right, depending on what's going on, is it possible to take some time for yourself and to think about, 
okay, as a person, right? Not as Nate, the officer, not as Jasmine, the therapist in the session, right? Who has a job to do, but as Jasmine, the person or Nate, the person, is there anything that was standing out to me or, you know, not sitting quite right about this call, right? Is there some grief there? Or when I think about the loss that those family members were experiencing or the fear that I saw, what are the actual emotions that come up when I don't have a role to perform? Right. And can I identify and acknowledge that? Yeah, that was really sad for me. Right. Or that was really tough. Or there was a part of me I had to regulate it, but there was a part of me that felt genuinely afraid as I was responding to that call. Right. So can you check in on what's going on with your emotions and that piece of like dialing up the empathy for yourself or the empathy for other people that you may not be able to show in the moment when you're responding, but is absolutely worth coming back to at a point where you have that time and space to yourself. Yeah. And even, even as I listen to this, like I get rocked with sadness just because I'm reflecting on kind of my own journey into, into kind of this thought that you're bringing forward. And I think, and I want you to agree with me or disagree with me here on this, but I think there's very much a, almost like two different things that happen on the journey of getting into uh, functionally disconnecting or the first responder world of work. And that is, I think in the beginning, when we first start, you're still very much emotionally balanced, spiritually balanced, uh, you're physically healthy, you're mentally healthy. So you can go to these calls and you can have a very human experience uh, in the very beginning in regards to you can feel the emotion, uh, you can feel how the body responds to stress and uh, maybe some trauma as it's happening in front of you. And you can kind of also pay attention to to kind of some of the mental things that might be happening in that moment in internally, you, you can ha- you can kind of see it very clearly. And for some of us, those emotions become overwhelming. And as we continue to go to call, to call, to call, to call, we somehow learn or have this belief that suppressing all of it is going to make those calls easier. Mm -hmm. So you have almost two approaches to going to, you know, traumatic events. I think where you're going to feel the emotion, you might shut it down, be able to deal with it later or not at all. And then eventually you're going to get to a point where you might just be incredibly numb and you don't feel anything at all. Yeah, it's one of those things where as much as I wish that with time, these sorts of experiences fade, psychologically, that's just not the way our mind works with trauma experiences. And so as much as we can suppress emotions in the moment, doing that doesn't mean that if we just ignore it with time, those emotions will just fade and go away. So I always think about it as like a bucket that you're filling up with water, right? And it's like you pour in a cup here and a cup there. And at the beginning of your career, you probably have a lot of room in that bucket. So it doesn't really seem like it's having that much of an impact. But then everybody hits a point if they're just suppressing or filling up that bucket without emptying it, where that bucket's full. And now what you see is it doesn't really matter if it's a full cup of water or just one little drop, right? You're potty training your kid and things are going well. And then all of a sudden there's an accident, right? And it's just like one last drop in that bucket and the whole thing spills over. And now your responses are out of proportion, right? So whether it's, again, you're short-tempered and losing your patience at things you normally wouldn't or crying at Kleenex commercials, not that there's anything wrong with that, but for people where that generally would not bring up emotion, right? It's like I get people coming in saying, why am I so um, so responsive to these things now? And it's like, well, the bucket is so full that it all it takes, right, is just something little to have that whole spill out of emotion you've been suppressing. So it doesn't go away. It just builds up over time. And eventually we sort of hit our capacity for dealing with those suppressed emotions. Versus if we're able to figure out ways, right, that reconnecting or just emptying that bucket, right, it's okay to put it in the bucket. But are you taking time to actually look at what's in the bucket then and empty it out as needed versus just suppress, ignore, and continue on until you hit that critical capacity. And it, this was something you talked about earlier about how you've you've heard of expressions of, you know, the fingers in the dam holding the emotion back because there's just so much there that if if a tiny amount starts to break the dam apart, it's it's going to be too much. We can't handle that. And that's all of that stored emotion over years of experiences now that we're very fearful of. 
at the root of it. There's fear to let that back into our lives. That's a very different story than, you know, what we're talking about right now. So let's, let's try to help people with maybe kind of some tools that would help them in that moment of, you know, what does functional reconnection look like? Mm -hmm. Because for most of us, you know, on the drive, if, if we're saying, how do we functionally reconnect? I think many of us after a shift might go, I do that on the drive home for 10 minutes. Yeah, pretend. And then I go back to life. Yeah. yeah. Is is that healthy? It is, right? Depends on how much is in the bucket. It, it can be healthy if you're doing that preventatively, right? So go ahead and set in those 10 minutes, right, on your drive home. And even having um, like rituals around this. So is there a certain marker on your drive home where you can be mindfully aware of that. And when you hit it, you start to transition from work mode to home mode, right? So work might be on your mind for the first part of the job. And then you're sort of aware as you're driving, what does it look like to reconnect with the person, right? So can I think about what I'm looking forward to when I get home? Or do I just connect with my body and notice, am I holding any tension? How am I gripping the steering wheel? What's my jaw doing? Where are my shoulders at? Right. And just let go of some of that muscle tension and do a bit of muscle relaxation. Or do I need to pause when I hit my driveway and take a couple of deep breaths and recognize where I am? Right. And and to think about, okay, who do I want to be as I walk in that front door? And can I think about the things that are meaningful to me in this moment, not walk in, but still have my mind at work or my mind on that call? How do you feel about people exploring kind of the deeper emotions that come from some of the more difficult calls? Like there's obviously levels of sadness, right? Where, you know, from a certain event, it might create uh, a moment for us where we cry because it's sad Mm -hmm. to a, a very different level of sadness where you get the full body shakes, right? That vibrating, everything's coming out, the stomach's in knots, we're we're almost bent over into a fetal position. We might have our hands over our face trying to hold back the tears. Those calls that evoke that type of emotion happen. Yeah. So how do we, how do we functionally reconnect after a call that might stem that level of sadness or an emotional response? How do we let that happen? And how do we process that? Acknowledging that that's even present is going to be critical, right? Like, can you even allow yourself to cry like that? Um, and I know for some people, right, it's not even an, can I allow myself? It's the minute I got in my car and I drove out of the parking garage at work, all of a sudden it came over me, right? There it all was. Um, but then in that moment when you start to feel that emotion, do you work to shut it down or do you actually lean into it, right? Do you actually allow it and give it some space and, and acknowledge like, wow, this is really hitting me on a personal level. So either I need to spend some time by myself processing this. If you're somebody who's comfortable with grieving, right? If I know that I can sit there and I can cry about this and I can acknowledge those emotions and say, of course, like this was horrific, right? It was really hard to see that. It makes complete sense that I'm feeling sad and allow myself to be vulnerable in that moment. For some people, that might be enough if you're at that place of being comfortable with your emotions, right? Or if you're somebody who journals and writes and does that self-reflection piece, then that might be a time where it's like, okay, I'm going to set aside some time to think about what was so sad about this for me, right? What really stuck out to me here? Is this touching on anything deeper, right? Like my own fears or my own past experiences, like where do these threads lead in terms of this grief? Is it just about the call or is this something that touched on a sore point for me? For other people, and I would say the majority of people were wired to connect, right? So finding somebody who you're comfortable sharing that with can be incredibly cathartic, whether that's peer support, whether that's, you know, a colleague at work that's designated to do that in terms of your crisis response team and just saying like, hey, can I sit down and have a debrief, not an operational debrief, but an emotional debrief around this call and just what came up for me, what I noticed, can we just sit and talk about that? Um, If that's a partner or, you know, somebody else in your life, again, I know it's, it can be delicate, But when we're talking about how do I connect with my partner around these emotions, often what I'll suggest is 
you could still talk about the emotions the call brought up without getting into details of the call if that feels too sensitive or too specific, right? So even just saying like, hey, I went to a really hard call today and I'm feeling incredibly sad about this or there's a lot of grief, right? I had to see some pretty hard things today. Um, you don't necessarily have to go into the trauma details in order to connect emotionally with your support people, right? So even just being able to acknowledge those emotions at home. And then always my go-to, right? Therapy. Because in therapy, you're not left alone with those emotions to have to do that hard work of what in particular to you is feeling so sad about this, right? The grief makes absolute sense. And are there certain sticking points here for you that are bringing on the strongest emotions? Um, because that probably is going to be more nuanced in terms of understanding this response and really grieving what needs to be grieved here. As, as we talk about this, I see the conversation start to hit up against the fence of like, now we're getting close to sanctuary trauma. And now we're getting close to childhood trauma. And these, these are things that we're going to talk about later, but there, there definitely is a component to, you know, the sadness that you have from a call later on in life. If it's very significant for you, uh, it can, it can be a potential landmine in regards to sanctuary trauma how are you going to reach out and try to get the emotional support now to handle some of those more complex emotions because individually we're going to try to feel the emotion and we might do a fantastic job but i believe and i'm sure you do too that true healing comes from being able to feel that emotion and then share it with someone else because that person oftentimes can help you heal and that we're wired that way we're connected human beings mm -hmm. and while I will say, yes, you need to individually feel the emotion, there's also a layer of deeper healing that can happen when you can take that experience to someone else. Now, sometimes when we try to do that, we might be met with a sanctuary trauma experience at work. I know that I went through that myself. I try to bring the emotional uh, issue that I might have just went through and the supervisor or co-worker just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that uh, it was a personal thing towards myself. It was that they might not have been able to be connected in that moment mm -hmm. because of wherever they're at, right? So I now understand that. Now, when we also talk about this experience of this magnified emotional response, a lot of times too, that can take us back to those childhood uh, traumatic moments in our life that were never processed, but definitely somehow linked and almost stored as a memory. So this, this very big emotion that we're experiencing now later on in life is also kind of rooted in the childhood traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. There's a term trauma entanglement that I don't think we've talked about yet. And the idea with that is there's sort of what's happening right now in terms of trauma, but then also what other things does that pull up with it, right? And I always just think about like, it's like you're cleaning out a drain, right? And you start with like one piece of air, one, and like you keep, and then you start pulling or the dryer or the washing machine vent filter, right? And it's like, oh, like just what else is going to come out with this? Um, and depending on how regularly you've been cleaning those things, there may not be a whole lot. It could just be what's going on right now. But very often, there are other things that trauma links into, right? And and trauma can repeat. So those feelings of abandonment, feelings of shame, feelings of not being supported, feelings of anger at the injustices in the world, right? There's these deeper themes and those themes often are what make something traumatic in the moment because that same kind of trauma is repeating from the past. So being aware that sometimes the current trauma can get tangled up with past things and pull those feelings up to the surface along with whatever is happening right now is a huge component of understanding why, in, why is this call in particular bothering me? Right. Or why do I find this instance so very upsetting or angry? And to tie this back into functionally being able to reconnect with yourself, these are some of the roadblocks that might be in your way mm -hmm. that might stop you from being able to truly functionally reconnect. And this is where kind of that awareness piece is so important about yourself in the journey. If you're a first responder of having that self-awareness into, into your entire history. 
so that you can better understand, you know, why some of these emotions that you're experiencing now, you may be kind of subconsciously uh, unable to functionally reconnect through it and really allow yourself to feel that. Uh, so we've, we've actually kind of gone down into like this, this very unique area of functional connection versus functional disconnection. And I think we painted a really good picture of how challenging it can be to really, truly functionally reconnect. I think for a lot of people, when I hear them say, oh yeah, I do a good job of functionally reconnecting. I'm like, well, what does it look like? And they're like, well, I, I drive home and I feel emotion and then I get home and I move on with my day. And I'm like, well, do you go back? Do you allow yourself to have space so that if in a day or two when those emotions are still bothering you, do you allow yourself in the room to really feel it? Do you journal? Do you get it out? Do you meditate? Do you do certain things? Like, do you follow up with it? And most people get sucked into life is busy, uh, which is totally understandable. And some say yes, some say no. And we're not saying that anyone is, you know, they have to do it a certain way. But just really ask yourself those hard questions about, you know, how am I processing this? How am I functionally reconnecting with myself? Am I giving myself, you know, a little bit more time than I thought I would need? Because that's the other aspect. We might think we only need 10 minutes to functionally reconnect when in reality, you may actually need a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's levels of reconnecting. Absolutely. So what kind of like the for the clients that come in and they see you and they're like, I don't know how to functionally reconnect anymore. Because again, we've established that in the beginning, functionally reconnecting is a little bit more easy. Mm hmm right? It's not as hard, but over time you probably see some clients that come in and they're like, I try to functionally reconnect, but I don't know if I'm doing it. I don't know if I'm feeling it. And you know, how do I do it? Like, what do I do actively do aside from just trying to let the body feel? Cause there is going to be a point where you're going to struggle with even just functionally reconnecting. What do you tell that person? Start small and practical in terms of those day-to-day pieces, right? Probably in therapy, we're going to have to go deeper into, okay, what are the barriers to reconnecting? Are there worries that if you start to reconnect, you'll start to feel more or these other emotions, grief, shame, those kinds of things will come up. That's something that we can handle and get deeper into in therapy. But on a very practical level, even just being mindful, right? And aware, being conscious of what you're doing moment to moment can be incredibly helpful right? Just not leaving yourself out of the picture. So can you try to be present for the last three minutes of your drive home, right? And again, check in with your body, check in with your breathing, check in with where your mind is at. When you're going through your day to day, are there moments where, you know what, you are connected, um, even if you don't necessarily realize it, right? Are there things that bring you some amount of joy, even if it doesn't feel the same bedtime with your kids or a moment with your spouse, or, you know, when you're sitting on the back deck and you have just a little bit of time to yourself, whatever it is, either we need to start carving out time for those things to happen, a five minute walk with the dog, or those things are happening, but your mind is wandering while they're happening, right? So even though you're sitting there, you're with your kids or you're eating dinner and nothing stressful is happening in that particular moment, your mind is creating stress by going back to calls or thinking about what's coming up the next day. So figuring out, can I practice being present? Can I come back to these small moments where I might actually be able to just connect with myself as a person, with the things that I value in my life? starting small and working on that awareness and that ability to be present can be incredibly helpful with that. Now, and my mind goes to, again, this is a very individualistic kind of approach of that internal kind of awareness, which I fully support. That's, I think, one part of the pillar that needs to happen. Absolutely. Now, the other part of this, too, is for the person now that's starting to maybe show some signs that they're struggling to functionally reconnect outside of the workplace, they may start to do this thing called social isolation. Mm hmm. So now while you're trying to help them and promote them into exploring kind of where they're at and how to functionally reconnect and where they need to go with that. And I mean, you might be promoting other tools such as meditation or physical activity or nutrition or, or all of these different things that can help us too at the same time, getting proper sleep, you know, just things that we, as we start to go down that path, we kind of forget that they're important, but 
if we take away now this individual approach into having the awareness of your own emotional range and allowing yourself to feel and and process and hopefully try to build some resiliency uh, into this journey what what's your stance on social connection for that person who now is starting to also maybe explore an individualistic approach into their awareness. But what are you doing then to also nudge them about that component of social connection and the importance of it? Like you're saying, it's so individual. Sometimes I think it's really okay to focus on yourself for a time um, because it's just going to feel so overwhelming to go through that social reconnection piece. Um, So there are times where we actually maybe need to dial it back just a little bit and and start with that focus on yourself, right? And not put that extra pressure. At the same time, for somebody who's maybe in a place where they feel like they're stable enough that they could connect, then I always think about, okay, who, who are your connections before? Who were your support people? Can it be as simple as sending out a text? right? Or saying yes to one thing with a friend when you get invited out or having somebody over for coffee, just starting small in the same way we would with any kind of exposure to something that's maybe anxiety provoking or a little bit uncomfortable, right? You don't have to go 10 out of 10 and, you know, join a sports team or start going to parties or something like that. But can we just start really small? And even in that we can probably start to pick apart some barriers like shame coming up because it's been so long since I've reached out to this person. Right. So I think about texting a friend and then I think about like, Oh, like I'm really judging myself for not having reached out or for they've texted me and I left them on red and just never replied. So again, with your therapist, with supports, you might start to work through some of those thoughts and then take that step, take that risk of, still reaching out to those people because the people that matter, there might be some relationship repair that has to happen, but the people that matter will probably want to be there for you in one way or another, in the same way that if there's a friend that you had, right. And you sort of reverse the roles and you think about if they reached out to you, if there's somebody whose relationship you truly value, you probably are going to appreciate the fact that they're connecting in whatever way is possible. Something you that I absolutely love that you touched on was making sure that you're not pushing someone to aggressively get out there and go to a rock concert or to join a large group uh, where they would be connected to a lot of people. Uh, as we start to slide, you know, and we change into a different person or our health gets impacted from the things that we're seeing and doing, we do very much have to take this baby step type approach to coming back. Yeah. And if you did it any other way, I would make the argument that it's probably not aligned with success or it's not at least sustainable uh, to any kind of degree. You're probably not going to get a chance to kind of build in some discipline or habit behind it so that you can then flip into just kind of automatically every day reaching out to people. Hey, do you want to go for coffee? If you haven't done that for a while, right? And you've kind of reclused is that even a word? That's the same word that came to mind for me too so reclused yourself from social interaction and social isolation is a very dangerous thing yeah very dangerous thing but i can guarantee uh most first responders probably understand social isolation very well to the varying degrees that it happens now if in your the depths of your journey and you're completely social isolated where you can't even you know step forward because of the social anxiety now that is there and it's crippling uh, and i've been there myself where people have come into my home and i haven't been able to come downstairs and say hi yeah it's bad And it can get very bad after years of continually going down this journey. Now, there's a success story in this for me, much like many people. So I am damn proud of the work that I've put into this. But this baby steps approach that you're painting, I love it. Yeah. 
I absolutely love it. You've got to start small. You've got to send out that text. It's awkward. Maybe there's some judgment, you know, there's some self doubt, whatever the case is. But the other important part too, of reconnecting emotionally is also trying to be vulnerable in that same breath too, right? Teaching them how to, you know what, it's okay. You can reach out to your friend and if they don't respond back, that's fine. That's entirely fine. You, you just do the first thing that you can do here. That is so important. Yeah. Yeah. That's critical. Um, and as you're saying that my mind goes back to sometimes the first relationship you have to mend is the relationship between you and yourself. Right. Right. Can you understand how to be compassionate with yourself and hold some space for the emotions that might come up, the fear, the disappointment as you start to take these steps and not be so taken aback by those emotions. But again, just know that because you have a good relationship with yourself, you'll be able to sort of meet yourself where you're at, work through that and keep going. And again, a lot, a lot comes to mind, but I'm going to try to continue to come back to where we're at here. The, so this important part now of the social connection, as we're kind of trying to think about, you know, even our awareness into where are we with our ability to have social connection uh, is also kind of a really good measuring stick in a sense of where are we in the journey? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because that will eventually become something that you need to hold awareness into as well. So we've, we've painted a fantastic picture of kind of, you know, what functional disconnection is and the importance of it uh, and how it actually serves us quite well. But the important part of that on the, the other side of the coin is being able to come back and functionally reconnect so that you can give yourself to the world and to yourself. And that's the other important part here, too, as we were starting to talk about this loosely in the beginning, is that your, your expectations for yourself probably will shift and change. You might spend less time on self-care. You might spend less time on yourself. You might, you know, you might kind of erode some of those boundaries that should be in place that normally were in place when you were healthy, right? You know, learning and having an ability to say no to things that you just, you can't do or don't align with you. You're allowed to say no as a human being, as an adult. Yeah. How many people do you see that still to this day struggle with saying no? Boundaries are hard. Boundaries are hard. And struggling to say no, I think, goes hand in hand with having learned to abandon yourself or leave yourself out of the equation over and over, whether it's experiences that showed you that your needs or your emotions don't really matter, were never validated, didn't really seem to have an impact on the situation, or you've gotten into patterns of people pleasing and just prioritizing other people's comfort needs wants over your own right that's another one that's that goes so deep for people Um, but again trauma can make it hard hard for us in other ways right to consider ourselves and what we might need or you just don't have the energy so you end up taking the path of least resistance or you feel totally overwhelmed by the emotions that might go along with saying no right and so then Again, that's another area where there's personal experiences and then trauma can sort of amplify any difficulties that were already there or bring on a totally new set of challenges. And the interesting thing too with this art or thought of uh, maybe losing the ability to say no in your career is there's also a layer too once you get into the first responder world where the person who says no isn't really accepted. Uh, Some of the organizations that are out there are very paramilitary based. If you get told to do something, you are expected to do it. Mm -hmm. And that can also become a bit of an issue too, right? As well, where, you know, you might not be standing up for yourself. You might not, you know, be putting those right boundaries in place because organizationally, you know, there's other things that are to take into account all while you're also dealing with some of these challenges and functionally reconnecting or disconnecting and finding that balance, right? So the journey into this can sometimes get very convoluted and foggy. But for me now, I'm on the outside, so I get a chance to say no every every chance I get, and I love it. And I actually have gotten to a point now where I've embraced that no is not a negative thing, but no is a declaration that my self-care or my self-worth uh, is not met in this moment and that I'm going to pursue that instead and you become an advocate now for yourself on the outside of this and that's how beautiful the picture can get 
but it is, there's an art to learning how to say no in the proper way, but not saying no because you don't want to do something, but saying no so that you look at yourself internally and say, what is my value? You create space for yourself and you know you deserve that space and you're able to set those boundaries for yourself. And yeah, exactly, exactly what you're saying. So if you don't have an ability right now to say no, and some of those self-care things are going out the window, again, this is also a very valid warning sign of where you're going in your journey. Again, and I don't paint a picture that you have to go into work and say no to every single person that says something to you, but just hold the awareness into where you're at. This is a very, very amazing conversation into, you know, how, how people are going to be able to perceive themselves and where they're at in their journey. And that's why we're doing this. Yeah, it comes back to, am I reflecting on the choices that I'm making? Am I reflecting on their impact on me? Do I have the tools and the time to do that? Or have I noticed that I've just started to run on autopilot, right? Am I so disconnected from these things that I don't even really realize that this is overtaking me? Um, And so as you were saying that in order to set boundaries, you have to know your own values, right? And that's another area where we can reflect on is career creeping? Like is the scope of how career defines me creeping larger and larger where now there might've been things that I valued early on. How do I show up in my family? How do I show up as a friend? How do I show up in my community? Spiritual you know, practices, um, even down to what are my hobbies? What do I enjoy? All of these things that you value can be those things that subtly start to get pushed to the edges. I picture circles on a page where there's lots of room for each circle. And then the career circle starts to grow little by little again, sometimes because it's convenient. That's where it feels comfortable. It's harder to maintain these other things. You're exhausted. People just don't understand you or connect in the same way that they used to or demands of career again that it's just hard to say no or there are certain things where you just don't really have an option to bring in your own values and handle things exactly the way you'd want to because there are certain expectations or certain procedures that you are obligated to meet and so then that career piece can start to overshadow who are you as a person and who were you when you started this And recognizing that that's happening is a huge part of this journey. We've talked about so much today, a very complex conversation, and we've went uh, almost in a million different directions with different thoughts and uh, different things that we may experience. Now, to come back to the complexity of the conversation that we've just had, what is the expectation for the person that walks away from this episode and says, what did I just listen to? I'm that person. Where am I? Where do I go from here? Having an understanding of what you're doing in order to do your job and the impact of that on you as a person, as a whole person, really sets the stage to be able to reflect on where can I support myself and where might I need to get some support? And the risk, I think sometimes with stoic service culture or just service culture in general, is this idea that the phrase that comes to mind is you should be able to handle your shit essentially, right? Like this is nobody else's problem, um, but yours. And so figure it out, right? You shouldn't be a burden to other people. You have a role to play, And that's really important. This can contribute to that social isolation. This can contribute to feeling like the weight of the world is on your shoulders as you're trying to figure this out. And so the image that another officer painted for me as he was talking to me about his journey through healing was just consider a professional athlete, right? Somebody who is expected to be performing well above what the average person would do in terms of their job. And think about how many people they have to support them, right? In terms of practice coaches, in terms of physiotherapy, sports medicine, nutrition, lifestyle, you name it. There are people handling all of these pieces for them, right? Or coming alongside to help coach them. 
And then you think about people in first responder roles where you also, in a much different way, are dealing with things that are not part of the typical human experience. And you are expected to perform at a level in high stress circumstances that the average person would not be expected to perform at. So where's your support team? Where are these people who are figuring it out and telling you that for these very specific demands that you're putting on yourself psychologically, physically, here's what we would recommend. And you know what? That's probably going to look different than the average person. You might have to have these things dialed in just a little bit more to maintain wellness and to prevent injury. And so not feeling like you have to do it all on your own, knowing that you can look for those different supports and have that system in place for yourself, I think that's absolutely critical to the things that we've been talking about, where it's not necessarily on you to know all of these things and to remember all of these things, but you have to be aware that it's going to be important so that you can set up the supports for yourself and have the people in place that can help you around that. The the growth that I experienced when I was on the individual journey of learning about myself and kind of taking that individualistic kind of approach that we talked about earlier was was no doubt there, but it was very small compared to the growth that I now experience as a result of being connected to a very significant support system that I have built. I 100% agree with you with this. You you should lose your shit to a degree. Yeah. Don't be stoic. Yeah. 24/7 please yes. because if you're being stoic 24/7 I would think that it would be a form of emotional suppression to a degree. Absolutely. Being stoic, being a true stoic is having the emotional awareness into who you are and what you were experiencing and being able to feel those feelings in the moment, but continuing to also have the logic possibly in order to deal with what's going on while exemplifying the importance of the compassion and the empathy and the connection. So getting back to a healthy place is possible very possible and thriving from PTSD is very possible. Now I would love to paint a picture for the person in crisis who is asking themselves the question of how do I functionally reconnect? Reach out for support. That's the biggest thing, right? If you're in at that place, often things just feel so overwhelming that it's hard to know where to start. Um, and so starting with probably one of the most difficult things for people by just finding that support is, is the number one priority. We really have to figure out at that crisis point, how do you stabilize, right? How do you get your feet back on the ground? Like before you even start to functionally reconnect in a bigger way, can you just recognize that things are really going off the rails here and that having that support in terms of getting your feet back on the ground might be step number one, right? And that could look like getting things back on track in terms of the very basic sleep, nutrition, like you mentioned before, just recognizing that, hey, I might need some help here because there are things going on that are just making it hard to function day to day. It might look like taking some time away from work, which is a really tough one. And again, another topic we could dive into. It's not that that has to happen in order to heal. At the same time, there is certainly benefit to taking space for yourself, right? It's incredibly hard to process significant trauma and process crisis when there's the risk of adding on additional trauma and stress every single day that you're going into work, right? And so you don't have to even necessarily come to that decision on your own, but finding the support to talk it out with somebody in terms of what would be helpful for me with where I'm at. Do I need to take a step back and just focus on grounding and recentering things before I keep moving forward or pushing forward? There's basic human needs uh, that probably are not being met when you're in crisis. Exactly. And instead of focusing on the uh, the important aspect of functionally reconnecting, uh, that might be a goal that's down the road. 
Yeah. And I agree with your approach to this. There's probably going to be a few things that you need to establish first. Are you eating well? Are you drinking enough water? Where is your nutrition at? Where is your sleep at? How do we help you so that you can get the physical body just back into a better place so that we can maybe then try to work on the physical body and the mind as well and kind of help kind of bring you back. And that's the important part. If you are in a point of crisis, you really do need to reach out for help. Mm-hmm. And there's no shame in that yeah. because we're painting the picture of how easy it is to get to a place of crisis. So if you can understand the message that we're painting, that it's very natural for someone to end up at a point in their life where they're in crisis, that's okay. Learn to accept that where you're at is as a result of you know not being lost, but just having so many significant experiences that haven't been processed that you're now here. And that's entirely okay. Uh, Dr. Jasmine Dean, I want to thank you for this amazing episode. Uh, We are going to continue to unpack the people that are behind the scenes that are caring for others and truly helping them to grow from this space. So thank you as always. I can't wait for the next conversation. Absolutely. Thanks, Nate. (music) 